Scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Although we'll be looking at a lot of different scriptures throughout. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believe. Here ends the reading of God's Word. The book begins In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So begins the story of God's work in the world. Not the beginning of God's story, but the beginning of God's story of work in the world. It happens in four acts, just like most movies you've ever seen. Creation, things are good. Things are as they should be. But something happens, and in an inciting incident, the fall. Something happens to break down what was good and force the main character in that book, God, to move forward and to do some things to fix the problem. The character goes on a journey. For God, that journey starts with a man named Abraham and the calling of, of a people and, and a Uh, moving them into the land and out of slavery and back into the land and then out of slavery again and back into the land. But eventually there is a redemption. There is a turn. The lead character finally goes on the quest himself. We call it the incarnation. We celebrate it every Christmas. That God changes, not in his character, but he becomes flesh, dwells among us goes to the cross, is risen from the grave, and fixes this thing once and for all. And we await the coming consummation, the completion, the culmination of the story where everything is made right. This is the way movies end, right? Unless they're a tragedy, you get to see it all sort of come together. And we're stuck waiting for that chapter of the story. That's the big story. That's the story of the Bible in 60 seconds. But layered in this story of the Bible are all kinds of individual stories. All kinds of times where God invites people to play a part in the story. We already talked about Abraham. Central to the Old Testament too is a man named Moses. Moses comes along and the people of Israel are in slavery. They're not where they're supposed to be. The story doesn't make sense if God is God and God is redeeming the world through this people. Why are they in slavery? But through Moses, they are delivered out. And because of this, we get one of the most repeated phrases in the Old Testament. 
A number of times God says through Moses these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. About 20 different times God says this at least. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then it's normally followed by instructions. And God spoke all these words in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. That's how God starts the commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So therefore you live differently. The story defines the people and their behavior. He reminds them of the story again in Leviticus before giving some holiness laws. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. He reminds them of their story. and He says now because of the story you're holy, you're different, your identity is changed. In Deuteronomy 20 it says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's trying to encourage them before going to battle and he says, Remember who I am? Remember our story together? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In Psalms 81, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Remember the story? You don't have to worry. You don't have to panic. You can trust me. I will feed you. I will take care of you. Remember our story together. In Amos 2.10, the same phrase returns again. He's trying, as he's trying to encourage the people to live differently. See, God gives Israel a story and the story defines the people. It defines their behavior. It defines God's expectations of them. It gives them identity and purpose. Gives them the right frame of mind and the right emotional state to go to war. Gives them trust of God in providing for food. But you see, Moses isn't the only one that does this. Remind them of the story. Think about the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is always telling the story, right? We call them parables. He's constantly creating stories, constantly creating metaphor and inviting people to think about them. But more than that, Jesus is creating stories. Right? Remember when he's surrounded by 5,000 people and his disciples saying, you know, we should turn these people away because they got to go eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, well, how are you going to feed them? How are we going to feed 5,000 people? He makes up a story. He gets them living a story, not just telling a story. Remember how he curses a fig tree and then comes back by the same way later to check on it so that they are experiencing what he's doing. Remember he sends out the disciples two by two saying, hey, go try it. Jesus doesn't just teach in the story, he creates story. He invites people into stories, memories that are written down for us today. Of course, the disciples get more than they bargained for with these stories, right? They don't quite know where the story is heading, but they are invited nonetheless. And because of that, they become this group. They huddle together in an upper room, and eventually Pentecost comes, and the story changes, and they go out, and you know what they start doing? They start telling the story. They start telling everywhere they go this Jesus and how he fulfilled all these things. This is what Paul's saying in the passage we read just a few minutes ago. Paul starts out, For I delivered to you as of first importance. What does Paul say? This is, this is the most important thing I got. 
This is it. And what does he do? He tells the story really briefly that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What's he, why does he say in accordance with the scriptures twice? He's connecting Jesus' story to the previous story. He's saying, you know, those previous chapters of the story. Now Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. That's the story. That's most important. Then this Jesus appeared to all these different people. But then he makes an interesting move, doesn't he? He doesn't just share Jesus' story. What does he continue into? His own story, right? As he keeps reading this passage, he said, um, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. He starts sharing his own story. Well, well, he's, he's talking about what's of first importance. Why is his story so important? See, Paul, I think here, sees his story as an extension of Jesus' story. That his life, his story is wrapped up in Jesus' story. See, there's a pattern here, isn't there? Over and over again, God calls his people, invites his people to be a part of his story, his acting, his work in this world. We all have parts to play. And he's constantly inviting people to change to fit the part that he has for them. Right? Shakespeare said it this way. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. Even Shakespeare understood that life unfolds like a play. He wouldn't have referenced a movie, but a play, because it comes across in scenes, in seasons, over a period of time. Our life really is like a play or like a movie. It's, we're changing and we're growing. Although sometimes we stop. You know, there's a whole field called narrative therapy. It's a part of counseling, narrative therapy. And what you do in narrative therapy is you talk about your life as if it's a story. You sit down and you say, okay, what's the story of your life? What part are you playing in your story at work and with your family and at church? And is that the story you should be playing? And so the therapist will start to work with the person to create an alternative story. Maybe you should be living a different story. Maybe you should be playing a different part. Maybe it's time that we add some new chapters. Maybe you're stuck in your story. Narrative therapy talks about problem-saturated stories. I love that phrase. They're stories that are so full of problems that you feel stuck and you can't do anything. Sometimes we get like that, don't we? This is what God does to us. He invites us to be a part of his story. To be a part of a bigger story. A story so big that we can't handle it on our own. So we have to rely on him and on each other. But this, that's the other part of the pattern, isn't it? Not just that God changes our story. Not just that changes, God changes Paul's story. Not just that God changes Moses' story. But he also invites these characters to lead others into a new story. Right? Paul wants to tell his story. Why? Because he wants the Corinthians to live out of this new story. Moses wants to say, the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Israel. He wants to, Egypt. He wants to remind them, remind them. Because he wants them to be a part of this bigger story too. It's what Jesus does with his disciples. I, I think we need to pay attention to this pattern. Because I think this is how we're meant to lead. 
I think when you're, I think part of what we do as Christians is we try to make our world fit God's story. So when you go to work, you're trying to make sure your, that story fits God's story. And when you're at Thanksgiving dinner with your family, you're trying to make that story fit God's story. I think we're meant to be like this, meant to be community leaders, meant to be in business, meant to be in all these different places so that we can make those stories seem like God's stories. We can invite people into a story. Maybe this pattern of leading with story is not just how God invites us, but it's the model of how God wants us to lead other people. What if we start to think about parenting and grandparenting as story creation? That what I want to do is create a story for my kids. The other, uh, about a week ago, we, we were going to the grocery store and I told my kids, I said, we, we are going to make the biggest ice cream sundae you have ever seen. We're going to take a pie pan and we're going to just load it up. And we're going to all eat from the same sundae. So we went to Giant Eagle and we, we got all the stuff. And we had so much fun going down the aisles and saying, do we need Reese's Pieces? Oh, yeah, we need Reese's Pieces. Do we need Cool Whip? Yeah, we need Cool Whip. Do we need Hot Fudge? Yeah, we need Hot Fudge. We, we piled all the stuff in. And my wife was not thrilled. But the rest of us were thrilled, and we had a blast. That's the kind of, that brings a family together. Something fun and engaging story. And you know what I have noticed? My kids have told, so they probably told some of you about that Sunday. They love talking about that Sunday. What about, what about living a story with our kids, with our grandkids, with our businesses? What's the story of your business? There's a whole field of study now. There's narrative therapy, but now there's a whole thing called narrative leadership, where businesses are realized, I've got to tell a story to get my employees excited and engaged. And I'm going to be able to tell a story to get people to buy my product. What, what am I marketing? I'm marketing the story of my product. You want to improve your neighborhood? Give them a story to be a part of. Do a soup can drive. Raise money to build a well in a third world country. Do something big that's a story that brings people together. This is very much how I lead, by the way. And it's been, it, I, it's been fun to see. I wouldn't have termed it this way when I got here. But it's been fun to see how natural it has been for other people to lead that way here at this church too. When I started here, I think our church sort of had writer's block. Right? We were a story, but we didn't know what the next chapter was going to be. We were just kind of stuck in the story. So we started creating some new stories, right? We started a mission trip. We started some little things here and there. We, start, we learned to celebrate our victories, to celebrate the new story. We started retelling stories. Remember when I got here, we would talk about VBS, and we would say, oh, VBS, it used to be so big. We talk about how VBS, how it used to be. Instead of saying, well, we've got 26 kids, but most of them don't come to our church. Most of them don't come to our church. It's a great opportunity we have every summer at VBS. We started retelling the story differently. We started retelling the old story. Last year when we had our uh, uh, anniversary, we, we retold the story. There were a lot of pieces of the story that were forgotten, that were lost. Our early history, a lot of people did not know. But you see, if you get writer's block, what do you do? You go back and reread the previous chapters. Now I know where I am in the story. Maybe I got some insight into what the next chapters are. I think our property tells the story about us. I think a property can tell a bad story, right? If it's really run down, it tends to tell the story that you're really run down. Or if it's really nice and fancy and everything's in its place and really particular, you might tell a story that you're really particular really wealthy, and that might not be the story you want either. But, but one of the things that happened as we started living a different story as a church is we started looking around and saying, 
I can't, that cobweb has got to go. And that dust bunny right there has got to go. And it was funny, it was, it was cobwebs that were decades old. But all of a sudden, those cobwebs didn't represent our story anymore, and they had to go. And so we've done some things around the property to make it look a little different. Why? Because, because we're leading with story, and we want our building to say something about us. We want our ministries to say something about us. And it's funny to me that as we've done this, people have started telling their story to other people. So now people are more willing to tell their friends, tell their neighbors, and say, hey, guess what we're doing in church? We've got an exciting story going, and I think God has more for us. I don't say this to toot my own horn. I think that this was a natural way for our leaders to lead. We just needed to do it. I say this because it's reproducible. It's reproducible. I think we're in a really godly pattern of leadership with story, and I think you could do it at home. I think you can do it at work. I think you can do it in different ministries. Let me, let me give one other example. We have elders and deacons at this church. I'm going to meddle a little bit, right? What, what's the story normally of the elders? They have long, boring meetings that mainly talk about finance. That's what everybody said thinks. And then we go and we say, do you want to be an elder? And everybody says, no. And what are the deacons at this church? Well, what do the deacons tend to be? The kitchen workers, right? Take care of the kitchen, take care of the general ministry, of the, you know, there's certain things they do. And then we go to people and we say, do you want to be a deacon? And they say, no, not really. But you see, I think elders and deacons have a different story than that. I think elders are called by God to take care of the congregation, to discern God's will, and to lead the church into the future. How many of you think that's a better story? Yeah. What about the deacons? Deacons are called by God to take care of the physical and spiritual needs of the members of this, con- of this congregation and to make us feel like a family. That's why we do dinners and stuff. Not so we can eat. We can eat anywhere. We, we want to feel like a family and tend to each other's needs. Is that a more appealing story for deacons? Yeah. Same work. Different story. Changes everything. I think this is how God wants us to lead. I'm convinced that God is calling us into bigger and better stories. His story for our lives. To say it another way, God wants you and I to lead this church and lead this world by making its story part of God's story. God wants us to lead our families that way. He wants us to lead our businesses that way. And I think if we can get the world looking a little more like God's story, it's going to be a totally different world. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your story. You did not leave us alone, though you could have. You did not just stay angry with us, with us, though you probably could have. But you came and rescued us. Help us to live as a people called by your story. Help us to live differently, to trust differently, to talk differently, and to be a people because you called us out of slavery. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.